Game of Thrones season six, episode two is over. And Jon Snow is back, Josh. Ah, <laughs> Stop it's everything. Me. Oh my god, stop the presses, the whole world, stop everything in the universe, he's back! Yes, yes, oh my god. He's home, he's home. He's home. It wasn't even that hard, it was kind of like easy home. Easy you know, home. It was really, it was like two episodes, he's back, it's good, this is great. You know, let's just get through it, you know, let's get him back in the field and now let's deal with this stuff. You know, I really thought, I really did think that the, we were going to come out of this episode and he wasn't going to be alive. <laughs> and, it, and it was going to be like a week of like, I guess he's dead. I guess he's uh, dead. That would have been, yeah, I was starting to prepare for that as well. Like they have this whole resurrection scene that's going on with Melisandre where she's finally doing the voodoo. And it's like, okay, all right. So this is going to work. Is it going to work? It doesn't look like it's working. And like this being the most cynical show on TV, I definitely started thinking like, oh, God, everyone's going to leave the room and that's actually it. And it's just going to cut to black and Jon Snow is not back. And I'm going to have to come onto this podcast and talk about how, yeah, he's still coming back. He's definitely still coming back. But how do you justify that if Melisandre's thing didn't work? So good for us. This was a good deal. This is a great choice. Yeah. All right, so we got a lot to work through, of course. Uh, plenty, plenty to discuss. It's been a busy night uh, for Josh covering all this stuff for the Hollywood Reporter, and uh, yeah. much busier night than we expected. Much busier night than expected. Yeah, I mean, I have to write my recaps immediately after these episodes are over, and I'm a fast writer, but you can only be so fast when Jon Snow returns from the dead. So, lots of content going on at the Hollywood Reporter right now. I'm poking my head up for some fresh air to talk on this podcast. Let's get into it. Lots to discuss. Really fun episode, I thought. Uh, amazing episode, I really did think. I didn't think there was really anything uh, that was boring or like, okay, fast forward through this. Let's get to the next thing. It was like big moments all the way across the board. So a lot to unpack tonight. First, I want to just welcome, we have a lot of new subscribers, a lot of new listeners to the podcast who found us uh, in this past week for season six. Welcome aboard. Uh, if you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, you could do so by going to post show recaps. Uh, dot com slash got itunes all right josh uh let, let's just go let's talk through everything uh all things uh john snow of course that he does end up coming back were you surprised that it's actually sir davos who says to melisandra hey remember you do magic Right. It's almost like Davos had read the blogs. It's like Davos had read like what the internet had been saying for the past like eight or nine months now. And it's like, hey, I read this theory about Jon Snow's eyes changing color. And like also that like maybe you as a red priest know something about resurrection magic. Is this true? Is this false? Can we talk about this? Uh, It really did kind of come out of left field for Sir Davos to be the guy who's like, yo, Melisandre, can't you do something about this? And so ultimately she's like, no, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Ah, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm, you know, I was an old woman a minute ago and now I'm fine. Yeah. And so she's like, I guess I could give it a shot. <laughs> I guess it's my job, right? Yeah, I guess uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, you know, she's really reluctant to do it because as we saw at the end of the first episode of the season, she is having this major crisis of faith that the things that she thought she believed in are false. That this whole Lord of Light thing's for nothing. Stannis is dead. That's a major bummer. Jon Snow, her backup plan, who she saw in the fires of Winterfell, also dead. She seems to believe that everything that she'd been fighting for has just been completely bottomed out. Um, in comes Davos, who's not really somebody that she's super, you know, BFF with to begin with, who's coming with this suggestion. And she's, you know, probably a little annoyed of like, you know, you didn't think I thought about this? I can't do this. I'm not a resurrection magic person. 
but ultimately she's like, you know what? Worth a shot. Let's give it a whirl. Let's see what's going on. She remembered the Thoros of Mirror thing. Uh, she gives it a shot, and at first it looks like it doesn't work, but then everyone clears out, and lo and behold, Jon Snow's back. Now, Josh, why was it important for the both uh, the show, and I'm not sure if this was, you know, George's vision also for this. Why did Melisandre have to hit rock bottom before Jon Snow could come back? Um, I don't know. I mean, who knows what George's vision is? You know, nobody knows what George R. R. Martin's vision is until we start reading those next books. But I think for Melisandre to hit rock bottom, it mirrors the Thoros of Mir thing. You know, in Thoros of Mir, I went back and I looked at a little bit of that episode where Melisandre meets Thoros of Mir back in season three. And he's the red priest who brings Beric Dondarrion back to life. And he's done it like six times by the time Melisandre meets him. And Thoros of Mir talks about how, like, I never believed in this stuff. I really just didn't buy into any of it. I, you know, I was doing parlor tricks at carnivals, basically, and I was just, you know, making money on, you know, cheap fire gimmicks. Um, And then my buddy, Beric, dies in battle, and I'm praying beside him, and I'm saying the words because they're the only thing I know how to do right now, and I'm hoping against all hope that my friend will be okay, and lo and behold, suddenly this man is alive again. And for Thoros, it was like at his rock bottom, it was this moment of pure grief pure desperation that, you know, that combined with whatever inherent magic he has as a red priest brings this guy back to life. And I think you see something similar with Melisandre that she is at a huge, huge low, doesn't believe in any of this stuff anymore, uh, or at least is questioning all of her beliefs. And I think it's that desperation that must be something that really fuels uh, this magic that really helps it along is this fact that this is really the last resort and I just got to believe it's going to happen. I think it's an act of desperation, and I think you need to be that low for it to work. That was my read on it. What was the significance to you of Ghost sort of waking up first, where he's sort of laying down, he sort of gets up, and then John wakes up also after everybody left the room? Is it yeah. possible? Did Jon Snow just have stage fright? Because that happens to me also. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I only feel comfortable waking up in front of ghosts. I am I'm naked. There, I'm naked right now. It's really cold, <laughs> so don't judge me. Uh, ghost isn't going to judge me. I can get away. I, at least let me put some pants on while everybody is gone. No, I think it's interesting because one of the major theories about how could Jon Snow come back to life, and this was much more book-based than show-based, is that John maybe did he warg into ghost? Did his spirit hop into ghost for a little while? Is that something that possibly happened? The show hasn't really given us much with that. Um, you know, that's definitely a more prominent factor for John in the books that he may or may not have those abilities that his brother has, that Bran has. Um, but on the show, it's never really been made a big deal out of. I think that I'm I'm going to have to rewatch the episode again to see if there's really anything there. But maybe this lends some credibility to the idea that Ghost and John were linked during this, you know, 12, 15 hour period that John was dead. So where does Jon Snow go from here? I think that they'll probably have some good news for Jon Snow where he sort of probably when he finds his buddies, it's probably be like, you, you won't believe this. Thor, uh, uh, Ollie, uh, all those guys, they're, they're all bad. They're all bad. Like, yeah, no, we, we, we took care of that. We got that's, it. We sorted yeah, it out. We yeah, saw the traitor fine. sign. We <laughs> locked him up. One, one was really great. He smashed this one guy into the wall. It was super cool. You're fine. We got that. It's like, Oh, and John's gonna be like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to deal with any of that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you guys, you guys took care of all that. That was great. Oh, you guys are such true bros. Uh, yeah, he's gonna be really happy that he doesn't have to like come back from the dead and clean shit up like that's just really great you guys you know he was he passed out at the party it was his house everybody cleaned up the mess while he was asleep and he woke up and he's like oh 
best friends ever. You know, you guys are the best. Does Alistair Thorne's reign as the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, does that count? Is, is, do, do we roll it back to what, what it was John Stone, 998? He was 998. If that's true, then Alistair Thorne was 999 and John would be 1000. Oh, <laughs> he's back? Yeah, he's the, the John 1000. That's how it works? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that works. I didn't see any sort of election for Alistair Thorne. I wonder if that's going to be in the history books, his, you know, 15-hour reign as Lord Commander. That does feel kind of legendary, and this is sort of an unprecedented thing that Jon Snow is back alive. That You would kind of be like, if I was Jon Snow in that position, I'd be like, oh, can I be 1,000th Lord Commander now? Because that sounds really great, and that's going to be a really fun story to tell the kids. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. All right, well, let's talk about everything else going on here at the in the north and then tie it into where Jon Snow goes from here. Cause we did have that really great scene. Okay. They're going to, you know, knock the door down. Everybody's going to come in. We see all the wildlings come in. And again, one, one, the giant completely steals the show. One, one direction, baby. Best band in Westeros. He cleans it up. Yeah, that was awesome. That was really great. And that was also kind of a book nod uh, in the book before John dies. One, one is causing all kinds of havoc at Castle Black. Uh, and that didn't make it in the season five finale. And I was, you know, a little disappointed about that. But I think that this is a little bit of a wink and nod where one one just shows up and just does something freaking awesome. And so then he uh, pulls that one archer off the wall and then just smashes him. Also, uh, Alistair this Thorne. episode was great for giants just like smashing people into walls. It was really great. If and, that's your thing, you were really happy tonight. Right. Then we had the moment where Ollie tries to uh, go rogue and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, was two, so great. I just only wish that one one could have just you know you know <laughs> smashed like, Ollie's head like a grape, picked him up, swallowed him whole, and then I guess on the other end Ollie would come out resurrected as we discussed on the feedback show. Yeah. Uh, this that was all uh, really really great. But okay, so Jon Snow he is now back from the dead, and then what is where does his story go from here? Is it like we okay let's go and charge to the north and go right. take on? Everybody that with uh, the Night's King, or is he going south towards uh, towards Ramsey and the Boltons? Well, it seems like the Boltons might be coming toward him or the Bolton, I should say, R.I.P. Roos. Uh, like I could see that, you know, we had that whole storyline where Ramsey's like, we should go like kill Jon Snow. We should go to the Night's Watch. Castle Black isn't protected on this side. Let's just go up there and take out the Night's Watch. And Roos is like. No, that's even too crazy for me. We can't do that. That is really a bad thing to do here in the north. Uh, and so that, and now Bruce isn't there to stop his son. So you could see Ramsey making a move against the Night's Watch if he's really, you know, having a grind on for this whole Lord of Winterfell thing and making sure that anybody who is a possible challenger is off the board. Um, I mean, I think what's interesting, and it's something that's worth considering, is, you know, we're talking about John potentially as the 1000th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. What if he doesn't want the job anymore? Technically, isn't he off the hook? You're in the Night's Watch until your death. That's the vow. That's the pact. He died. Dude straight up died. He's back. Does he have to be tied to the Night's Watch anymore? Or can he try and make good on that promise that Stannis had offered him years ago? Uh, do you want to be Jon Stark? Do you want to try and be Lord of Winterfell? Is that something that Jon Snow might angle after? I just can't imagine it. What life does he have to go back to? Where else does he have to go? All of his friends in the world. Now, maybe things might change if Sansa ends up going back, but she doesn't have anywhere else to go either. So unless he's right. just going to go live with Sansa somewhere, I can't imagine he says to his bros, hey, uh, nice knowing you. You know, there's this technicality in my contract that I can opt out if I'm I out. die. Technically, I was dead. 
And so now I can go be on my Off way. Good luck with all of the White Walkers and everything. Do I'm, me a favor. Send me a raven if they hit the wall so that I may go south to Dorne and drink some red wine. I have to feel like that his story plays out at Castle at Black and yeah. in the north. I think so, too. I think that he's in the north, but I think it's something that's worth considering, the fact that he does not have to be beholden to the Night's Watch anymore. Um, I think that that's something that could come into play. We know that the Boltons, we know that Ramsey is interested in Castle Black. We also know that Sansa is on her way up there. So it seems like some sort of Stark sibling reunion should be in the future. Then again, every time everybody tries to come together on this show, they just get viciously torn apart. So who knows if Sansa's actually going to reach it. Speaking of viciously torn apart, let's go oh, yeah. and uh, discuss uh, the events of the night on Winterfell. And it may be on another night, maybe on any other night that maybe more of the focus uh, shifts to this uh, horrible moment uh, yeah. with, uh, with, uh, with Walda and uh, the new baby Bolton. Um, let's talk through pretty messed up, pretty messed up. Oh stuff yeah. Going on I really there. felt like I'm like, I'm really, at what, <laughs> at what point can we just be, get out of this? Like, yeah, uh, like we got it, we got Thrones, it where yeah, this is going. Even by game of Thrones standards, this was really gruesome. And I mean, this was a show that had, it's one of its season premieres. I think it's the second season premiere ends with like the mass murder of all of these babies in King's landing. So we've seen like horrible things happen to infants before, We've never really like seen or heard a dog yeah. ripping a mom and a newborn baby part. Like that was just really, really rough. But it goes to serve it, it serves to show what we're up against with Ramsey being not just, you know, the bastard of Bolton, who we already knew that, but that dude is Lord of Winterfell right now. That's the guy who's in charge of Ned Stark's house. This is bad news. This is not a good person. Terrible news. All right. Yeah. So first off, let's just take it through the murder of Roose Bolton. And I have to say from the blocking, like I saw like the, the stab, the stabby stab, but I have to say I was a little like, oh wait, who stabbed who here? Yeah, I was a little confused too. Cause you know, I was, I was watching that scene. I was like, oh my God, did they just kill Ramsey Bolton? Like yeah. that's the end of the Ramsey storyline. He's just, oh, it's Roos. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to see either, or at least I didn't want to see either of those guys go yet. Cause you know, I think that the show, the show, you know, we lost Tywin Lannister, we lost Joffrey, and I think that the Boltons kind of rose up and filled out those roles in terms of, like, the human bad guys, like the decisively bad people on the show. Uh, and I think that it's it's useful to have those guys in place. I think the show is now obviously really doubling down on Ramsey being the guy, but I was sad to see Roose Bolton go out like that. I felt like uh, a better death was maybe awaiting him in the future. No, no, no better death. No, just, and no. also, Ramsey, we see that, uh, and especially from the previously on, we saw the Car Starks were getting uh, back in the mix. He's got an alliance with. Uh, How about Car- that for a deep pull? Yeah, yeah Car Stark. Let's go dig, dig back into the bench for Car Stark, douche. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, they're back, of course. Uh, they're still pissed off from uh, Rob back in season two uh, after the beheading of uh, Lord Karstark. Yeah, that's right. Rick on Karstark, yeah. I believe was his and name. And so they're still upset about that. And they're or going to... Rickard Karstark. Yeah, uh, so they are going to uh, pledge their allegiance to uh, Ramsey, who's now the Lord of Winterfell. And then he says to the maester there, you know, okay, summon uh, Walda, summon the baby, over oh, here. Yeah. And I mean, good on Walda for being able to just like get up and mosey around after all that, huh? Yeah. That it seems like crazy. It's like water off the back for Walda. That was like Claire on lost levels of rebounding from having just given birth. 
Yeah, baby was you know, doing good like, too. Yeah, baby's doing fine up until a point, you know, and they're just like moseying around in like the super cold of Winterfell. I feel like a doctor would advise against that. No, and this was just you know really tough to get through. And, you know, we're talking about like, oh, isn't it great when the giant smashes somebody in the head? But, but it, this was really really tough. Or it's just like, okay, just get this over with. Just get it. What just- was? Yeah, I think what was tough about it was just like how inevitable it was, mm-hmm. and like you you know what's going to happen the second that Ramsey says to the Macer, "Bring me Walda and my new baby brother." Like you don't, you almost don't need to see anything else yeah. to know what Ramsey's going to do. Would have been fine. Would have been you fine. Know? And if and, and if Walda says like, "Oh, can I see Roos?" and you know Ramsey's like, "Yeah, let me take you to him," and they walk off. It's like, all right, you know what's about to happen. You know mm-hmm. that she's not making it out. That's it for Walda Frayne. We don't like the phrase, but I don't think we wanted to see this Frey die the way that she died. Uh, and I, I feel like it was it was probably a little gratuitously brutal. Um, and I do think on another night when Jon Snow is not coming back from the dead, this would be a really, really big focus, but there's a lot of business to talk to tonight. Yeah. Too much, too much to talk a about. Lot's going on a lot. Going uh, on. We also speaking of Starks that are back that got a haircut. Bran is back. Bran is back. Yeah. Bran is back. He did get a haircut and he's so tall. He's so tall. Why did Bran get a haircut? I don't really understand that is who does that? The three eyed Raven. Yeah, I think Mira? that, you know, they've got, like, a really great Hodor? service. Yeah, Hodor is really good at it. No, it's, like, Willis? those branches just, like, they just, like, go and they, like, cut around <laughs> cut around the hair. Edward Scissorhands? Really the, they're really good. Edward Tree Hands. Yeah, right right around the ears. Like, they've got a really good good way of doing it. Okay. So now we Very have this storyline where Bran is with the Three-Eyed Raven, and they are able to travel through space and time and bounce around and appear they get to be i guess ghosts i mean based on what we saw in the flashback uh that he doesn't seem like and he can interact with the character it seems like that they can see through him but he's able to travel through and we saw a young ned stark at winterfell uh with his brothers and ned stark's sister yeah liana let's not bury the lead here Uncle Benjen. Benjen's back, too. <laughs> Benjen's back. This is a big deal. No, Liana showing up on the show is really cool because, you know, Liana Stark, we've heard a little bit more about her in recent seasons. In season five, especially, I remember there's the scene with Littlefinger and Sansa in the crypt and they're looking at Liana there. She's a big character in Westeros lore that we haven't heard a ton about on the show, but she's basically the inciting incident behind Robert's Rebellion. She's kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen. That makes the Starks and Robert Baratheon very, very angry. They go to war. Lyanna doesn't survive the war. Very sad stuff. And there's a lot of talk about how Lyanna might be a really, really important figure in the lore of this show. So to see her on the show was really, really cool. And I expect that's not going to be the last time that we see her. And you're totally on board. You like how they're doing their... Because in the books, there are so many, you know, discussions of things that happened in the past. And, you know, on the TV show has not really been able to explore those things. Do you feel like this is an artful way to be able to get a lot of that information? 100%, because I think it really it really ties into Bran's abilities. You know, Bran's, his whole thing, like he's been going to warging school. He's going to green skiing school. He's going, you know, he's at the knee of the Three-Eyed Raven, who's supposed to be teaching him how to do all of this stuff that he promised in the visions all the way back in season one. Come find me. I'll teach you some cool stuff. So Bran took a season off. It seems like he knows some cool stuff now. So it works really well with where Bran should be at in the story. And as a result of it, as an offshoot, we get to see some really awesome pieces of Westeros history. I hope that this happens a lot. Like Bran could be parked 
underneath that tree going through the past for every single episode this season, and I would be a happy man. Yeah, you Very just want to bounce that. around, quantum leap through Westeros. That's all I need from the brand story this season is for him to just like have eyes on all of these events from the past. I think it would be three really eyes. cool. Three eyes, all three eyes. I think it'd be really cool. I think it'd be really instructive for people who haven't gotten a lot of that detail from the show because the show hasn't been super interested in that. But a lot of it's really important. And so now is a time that you can get it on the show in a way that really makes sense with the narrative. I loved it. I thought the brand stuff this week was fantastic. So then also we find Hodor. out <laughs> the young Hodor. Young Hodor. Named Willis. Named little Willis. Yeah, Willis. Who knew? Well, this was a shock to me because I didn't think that it was like that uh, Hodor was like some sort of like uh, Hector Salamanca where. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ding, that, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That he, I, I didn't. I thought that Hodor was always like Hodor. I didn't. This seems like a, a much more d- different Hodor. Yeah, Willis was like top of his class. Like he was almost, he was like really liked by the Stark siblings. Like they wanted to, you know, train with him and everything. It's like, hey, Willis, come here. We want to hang out all the time. They wanted to be best friends with Willis. Willis was the cool kid. And obviously something happened and we don't know what that is. We don't know what happened to him. I know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't think that maybe could Hodor just be going through the motions? Is he sort of like pretending to not be able to talk? Oh, man, is it possible that he's like Kaiser Soze and this whole time we're going to see that Hodor has been the master manipulator behind the scenes? Well, then at the end where he's like, all right, fine, fine. I could talk the whole time. I I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to. Didn't want to, you know. No, I think obviously something bad happened to Hodor. Whether or not we see it, I don't know. Um but yeah, he can. He could talk. He could whistle. You know, he could do all of this stuff. Uh, and suddenly he couldn't. And suddenly he started calling himself Hodor. And I have no idea why. It was really. It was a fun moment to see Hodor in the past. I do wonder how important it is, or if it was just a detail. Mira Reed is not really too happy to be up there either. She's like, oh, Would you? Would you be happy, Robin? Yeah, I mean, like she went all this way. Her sibling blew up horribly in front of her very eyes. I just she's don't got know like why no she's purpose there. here. Yeah, well, What's she doesn't either. <laughs> so she she doesn't know either. It's like, why am I here? Can I go back to hanging out with Howland Reed now? Can I be a Kranig woman again? Yeah. Uh, no, she's just stuck here. And even the child of the forest is like, yo, you have to stay. You can't go. Bran really needs you. You're going to be important. Just trust the process. You just have to hang out for a little while longer. She's like, I've been invisible for a season. Yeah, I'd be like, well, you could take off if you want yeah. to. That's fine. If right. you want to beat the traffic back to the wall, that's fine. Right. No, but the child of the forest says, like, you're going to be important. He needs you out there. And, you know, she looks at, like, the vast expanse of the north. And you got to imagine, you know, some bad White Walker business could be headed Bran's way. And Bran will need all the able-bodied people he can get. Um, So Mira's got to hang around to protect Bran. Another person that we haven't seen in a while, uh, Balon Greyjoy. And maybe we won't be seeing him for a while. Also, Yara Greyjoy is also back. The Greyjoys have really, they much like Bran, they were on the Bran schedule. They took a season off, and they come back tonight, and uh, we see Balon Greyjoy uh, falling from a very high rope bridge, which, in hindsight, seems like probably not the safest way to move from tower to tower. You think that the Iron Islands really need to work on their infrastructure? Like, let's get this fixed. Yeah, it seems like that it's probably not the first accident that happened on the rope bridge. 
<laughs> we have an infrastructure problem here at Pike. Yeah, no, that was bad. Bound Greyjoy, Bound RIP, he's gone. Uh, that was a really rough ending for him. It had been a while since we'd seen him. It was basically for him, at least. I know that we had seen Yara in, I think, season four when she tries to go help Theon, but we haven't seen Bound since season three, I think. Yeah, I think since um, he gets a, a delivery. Yeah, a gift in the box. Yeah, he got that, and then like we just hadn't seen him in a very long time, and now we will not be seeing him again. What did you think of that scene where he gets Emperor Palpatine off the bridge? Which, once again, is just a thing that's been happening on this show. I'm loving that trend. Yeah, what of guys just getting just like going and like throwing bad guys from like great heights is just wonderful. Well, it did seem like that's where it was going. Now, I I believe that uh, the circumstances of the disappearance of Balon Greyjoy happen a lot differently. It's a lot muddier, right, in the books? Well, so he is he is killed in the books, or he dies in the books. It's uh, chalked up to as a freak accident where he's you know crossing a bridge at night. It's a particularly stormy, horrible weather night. And he falls off a bridge and he dies. And no one really knows what happened. It had been heavily implied in the pages and a lot of the analysis and a lot of the theorizing was his brother killed him because this guy's a shifty character and he kind of shows up very coincidentally shortly after this man's death. So people really thought that that was probably connected, but it was never confirmed. At least as far as the show goes, that is the case. Yeah, And correct uh, me if I'm wrong, it's not something that we read about in the books as a first person account. It's sort of like, hey, did you hear this happened? Correct. Yeah, exactly. So we get to see that happen and play out in the show. And a question I think a lot of people have, we've seen gotten a lot on Twitter. So who is the guy who showed up on the bridge? Yeah, so he is Balan Greyjoy's brother, uh, as they are talking about extensively, clearly a black sheep in the family, someone who hasn't been around for a while. Um, He talks about he's like, I am the drowned God, you know, has like this real Heisenberg attitude about him. Um, He's talking talking about how he's like a nightmare on the open seas from Old Town to Karth. So he's a real feared pirate type. His name is Euron Greyjoy. He is uh, one of the brothers in the in the Greyjoy family, and he has been gone for a long time. And his appearance, his sudden reappearance here is a surprise. Uh, And the fact that he is also killing his brother in the process is an extra surprise. So what he's up to, that'll be revealed. Um, This is one of those stories that I think going into the season or even like a season ago, never really knew if it was going to make it onto the show. The fact that it's on the show means that it should be pretty juicy stuff. Uh, Then again, that is exactly what I said about Dorne last season. Right. And look how that worked out. Uh, I thought that this scene was really, really cool. I'm curious to get your take on it, Rob, from someone who's not like so deeply familiar with that Greyjoy stuff. Um, how you liked it and whether or not you think that this has better upside than the stuff that we've seen with Dorne. No, I'm into it. We could always use more badasses on Game of Thrones. It definitely seemed like Euron seems like he's going to be a character uh, worth watching and, you know, not like the kind of character that you say, okay, well, this is boring when this person is up on the screen. So I think I'm on board for that. And it looks like we are in store for a power struggle here on Pike. Yeah, they're talking about the King's Moot. Woo! King's Moot 2016! Yeah, so the King's Moot is like this sacred event on the Iron Islands where you have to choose a new ruler. Is it more um, like a primary or a caucus? No, it's like, this is the real deal. This is it. Uh, it's just like a one-day, maybe a multi-day affair if the vote really drags out for a while, but it's not like months and months and months of buildup. It's just game day. It's election day. Uh, and we'll see who puts themselves in the running. Obviously, Yara is angling for it. Well, how is it decided? Uh, is it a battle? Is it a vote? 
I think it's a vote. I think it's, you know, it's support. I don't think that there's going to be any fighting. Uh, although maybe, maybe we'll see some fighting. Okay. Could, could there be, be some sort of contested convention? Yeah, we, <laughs> they're going to take it to Cleveland. <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll see how things uh, play out for the Greyjoys uh, in all of this drama. Uh, Tyrion has a uh, big moment. Oh, there's I- one. There's one other thing with the Greyjoy stuff that I guess we should talk about is like the breakup of Sansa and Theon. Uh, Sansa seems really cool with just letting Theon go, and Theon really wants to go back to Pike. He's going to be in for a rude awakening when he goes back to the Iron Islands because his dad is dead. But in your it opinion, like, why, why do you think Theon wants to go back there? Like, he's not down with taking the black. I feel like that was a better option for him. Yeah, it feels like he's really beating himself up of like, oh, you'll be forgiven. I don't want to be forgiven. Uh, yeah. I need to go back. You know, I haven't been punished enough. I need to go back to my parents or go back to my dad so I can get yeah. yelled at even though he hates me. He hates me so much. So, I, yeah, I don't really understand Theon's motivation. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a bad call. Uh, but he's going. He's leaving. I thought that was very sad, uh, both in terms of the scene. I thought that Alfie Allen and Sophie Turner, they did. A, you know, they had a lot of intense work together over these past couple seasons, and I was sad to see that broken up so early into season six. Um, I really, I really thought that that would have been a great combo to have him in the mix with Podrick and Brienne and Sansa. But obviously, he's got his own his own agenda right now. I, do you feel like it'll be a while before we see Theon again? Uh, no, I think we're going to keep Theon involved. I feel like that he's probably the conduit, the character that we know about that keeps that Greyjoy story relevant. He's almost yeah. like Jamie and Dorne. I think uh, when he gets back to Pike. Uh, I I believe, but uh, let me ask you a question that uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick emailed us uh, about how the edit would have us believe that Theon meant Iron Islands when he said he's going home. But is it possible that we're going to get blindsided and he's going back to Ramsey at Winterfell? Is oh there any God. chance that that's what's happening? <laughs> that's an interesting read. Uh, I had not even considered that. Until, yeah, or a mirror read. Uh, that's a, that's a great... That, or a Josh read. That's a great call. Um, that's so depressing to consider. The episode title tonight was Home. And out of all these things that we've talked about in this episode, I feel like that Theon's use of the word home seems like a very random thing to name the episode after. Yeah, well, I mean, home is brought up a lot. And, you know, you even get Bran saying it when um, when the Three-Eyed Raven pulls Bran out of the vision. And he's like, it's beautiful beneath the sea, but if you stay there too long, you'll drown. And Bran says, I wasn't drowning, I was home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that it has multiple, multiple meanings. But I think for Theon, in that lens, yeah, that's a loaded word, home. Because um, you don't know if he's talking as Theon Greyjoy or if he's talking as Reek. You don't know how much Theon still exists in there, how much Reek still exists in there. And even if it's Theon, Winterfell was his home for most of his life, you know, certainly for most of his, you know, uh, for all of his adult life. Um, so for him to say home, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But I'm now kind of sketched out and worried that I think that we're going to see a Reek resurgence, a Reek surgeon. <laughs> Reek surgeons could be on yeah. the way. All right. Uh, let's go and talk about uh, Tyrion over in Marine. It was a Danny free week, but Tyrion really had the spotlight when he decides that he is a, a big believer. He always has been, as have I, in free range dragons. Uh, yeah, you really that makes them happier, and like they won't fly away if you tie their legs to another dragon. Like if they just have like one dragon that they're linked to, they'll always feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, so they'll just stay around; they won't fly the coop or anything like that. So uh, Tyrion has this idea because the dragons are not eating, and he feels like the Targaryens they would always like tie up their dragons, and then he right. needs to let the dragon go. And uh, there was, I mean, that really, really great line 
of, you know, we see Tyrion drinking and then uh, they ask him, uh, how do you know about the dragons, Josh? Yeah, well, that's what I do. I drink and I know stuff. I drink and I know things. And that's like his Twitter profile drinks and knows things. Yeah. Right. At Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> but I did feel like that Tyrion in hindsight, I think that maybe uh, worked up some liquid courage uh, for this exercise in freeing the dragons. Yeah, because he goes up to Varys at the very end of it. He's like, if I ever do anything like that again, please punch me in the face. Yeah. It was like Ron Burgundy hopping into the bear pit. You know, <laughs> I instantly regret this decision. So where do we go from here with the dragons? It doesn't look like they can get out the door that Tyrion comes in. So I don't know if there's like a back door for uh, the dragons to be able to get out of. But where do the dragons go and get in on the rescue mission of Danny? Do they attack the masters? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately what you have to assume is those dragons are going to be free and they are going to be utilized against some White Walkers. Like, you can't imagine that this show ends without dragon fire consuming at least a few White Walkers. And I think these dragons will be involved. Um, how we get to that point, you know, right. what's the what's the very next step? It's like, that's the get- end of the story, but what's right. the next part of the story? Right, I think, you know, Tyrion, he's established a friendship with these guys. That's great. Okay. Uh, but I but I don't know how he gets them out of the dungeon, um, you know, without, you know, really having to, you know, he really is going to need to double down on that liquid courage because he seemed really, really freaked out about it by the end of it. Um, but I don't know. Are they involved in a rescue mission to get Danny? That could be cool. That could be fun. Are they going to be involved in somehow regaining control of Meereen and Slaver's Bay? That's a possibility as well. I think there's a lot of possibilities with it. It's kind of hard to tell exactly where it's going to go next. Also, a lot was made about the intelligence of the dragons, which is not really something that we've heard talked about much in six seasons of Game of Thrones. That, oh, did you know that actually the dragons are actually very smart? Some people say they're smarter than humans. They know who their enemies are. They know who their friends are. Uh, It's almost like, okay, well, now the dragons have uh, become sentient. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Singularity. I feel I thought that that was a great detail and a great callback to early Tyrion Lannister, you know, all the way back in the beginning of Game of Thrones when Tyrion is reading books about dragons on his way up to the wall with Jon Snow. Um, and there are, you know, he, he was really obsessed with the dragons in his youth. I thought that his monologue that he gave when he was talking to the dragons was very sweet, where he was talking about how, uh, you know, on his name day, his uncle's like, what do you want for your name day, little Tyrion? He's like, I want a dragon. Mm-hmm. I want a dragon that doesn't have to be big. It can be little like me. And everyone laughed and, you know, now here, here I am and here you are. I thought that was a really sweet Tyrion moment. I thought that was great. I also liked the idea of cat-sized dragons. Like Sir Pounce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if Sir Pounce had a dragon friend that was his size? Yeah. That feels like uh, like Game of Thrones babies. It's like the Muppet babies of Game of Thrones. Do you think at the point where the Targaryens were really running things and then they had like all these different kids? Can you imagine like uh, some sort of world where it's like, uh, you know, keeping up with the Targaryens and they have like <laughs> little like cat sized dragons and handbags walking around? Yeah, that'd be really great. Yeah. Everybody has a cat sized dragon i think that'd be really fun what, what would you prefer to fight one dragon-sized cat or a hundred cat-sized dragons i think i would probably say one dragon-sized cat since a cat did not does not shoot fire out of its mouth that being said you're dead no matter what probably this i'm a mouse this yeah at that point this isn't like the horse-sized duck duck-sized horse thing i feel like either way like the giant cat is probably going to eat you like yeah i that the, the, the cat is one one and i'm the man that is smashed against the wall yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Sir Robert Strong, as it were. Yeah, Sir Robert Strong. Yeah, well, over in King's Landing, and boy, uh, what a setup uh, for this uh, for this payoff here. A uh, you know a, a little bit of a shaggy dog story for this uh, character that we got introduced to, who got a, a lot of screen time talking about his role in the uh, in the Cersei Atonement, right. <laughs> And how she wanted him, and then yeah. we see him, uh, and a little bit of, uh, you know, we we did hear Amelia Clark before the season uh, requesting more male nudity on the Game of Thrones. Yeah, so we got a public urination scene. How's that? You know, Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, and what happens to public urinators in Flea Bottom? It's a really uh, harsh crime with an equally stiff penalty. Yeah, I don't know how stiff, but you know, Whoa. it ends in it ends in death. Probably not Execution. that stiff. Yeah. Probably not that stiff. Certainly not anymore. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, there is an ordinance, perhaps. It's bad. Yeah. You don't want to be caught with your fly down in Flea Bottom. That's right. And so... You get, you get surpounced upon by Robert Strong, who is just waiting, waiting for anybody who is either A, bad-mouthing Cersei Lannister, or B, peeing in public. He hates it. So he he really uh, shuts that down. It's a strong uh, stance on public urination. Yeah, and we have the return of Tommen, who that we have not seen in quite some time and he's back and we see him in uh the sept with jamie and he's sort of like talking through it about after we see cersei she wants to come to marcella's funeral she's not allowed she has to stay in the red keep that's on common's order he's worried man i mean things are really you know the the fit is hitting the shan for this kid and it's you know he his wife is locked up his mom got locked up and she had to like go through this horrible traumatic thing to get out of there. He's really worried that she could get locked up again. So he's just freaking out. And as he admits to both of his parents in this episode, he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no clue how to do this. Can somebody help me? Uh, and he wants to be strong and he wants to be strong willed and he, he wants to be as strong as Robert and he wants to do all of those things, but he's just, you know, naturally as a, as a young teen who is also king, he's too craven to pull the trigger on some of that stuff. Uh, so yeah, I get, I get where he's coming from, but heavy lies the crown, man. You got to suck it up and you got to deal with it. And he looks like he's headed in the right direction. Though. Yeah, I feel like he's saying the right things at this point, Tom. And problem is, is like who he's saying them to and who that advisor is, is Cersei, who is a terrific character precisely because she is so bad at this stuff um and like you know her power grabs and her her idea of how to gain control you got to imagine comes you know paired with lots of severed heads lots of blood on the streets of king's landing um lots of backstabbing lots of plotting lots of manipulating and as we saw with what happened to her with the walk of shame not a lot of consideration for consequences. So I think for him to be coming to her and saying all the things that he's saying, that's great. But I think that the person that he's saying them to, I'd be really worried about putting all my chips uh, in, in Cersei's corner and betting on that. I feel like that's a bad bet. Yeah. Now I'm really fascinated by what's going on now between the Lannisters and everything with the high Septon. And we see the high Oh, Septon. look at you. You're into the high Sparrow thing. Finally. Yeah. The high Sparrow. Uh, and I really feel like that this is pretty, pretty interesting what's going on here because now Jamie is involved with him. Now, I don't know the politics of George R.R. R. Martin, but is it possible that the battle between the High Sparrow and uh, specifically uh, Cersei, uh, do you feel like could this be any sort of allegory for the uh, Democratic primaries uh, this year? <laughs> don't you did you see the High Sparrow as uh, almost like the Bernie Sanders of, of Westeros? <laughs> 
We're going to break the Iron Banks. <laughs> we're going to break the Iron Banks. We're going to break up the Iron Banks. <laughs> sure. And, uh, yeah, he's like, the Bernie Let me tell you, Cersei Lannister, that she's, this is a corrupt system that's yeah. being run here. That me, I, yeah. All of my donations are from, uh, are from the people. Well, to, yeah. all, so apart, we have nothing together. Small donations. <laughs> yeah. Very small donations. Yeah. I, I think, think Jamie's some... kind of Bill Clinton in this scenario also. <laughs> like, uh, I'm telling you, there's the stuff that went on. Well, was, given the hand, he's got like the real like Bill Clinton thumb move. Like he's like, all right, High Sparrow. Okay, I see where you're coming from, but ease down. Uh, yeah, I think there's something there. Something there. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie Sparrow, I like it. Uh, I mean, Feast for Crows is where that character premieres. Uh, and that's published in, I think, like 2005. So really oh, okay. ahead of his time. Ahead of his really time. ahead of its time. Ahead of its time. <laughs> but it's great. I mean, it's timely. It's certainly timely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll see ultimately uh, what goes on there. But I was worried for Jamie there for a minute. I was worried I wasn't as well. Sure Jamie was going to make it out of there. I felt like that's not where you lose Jamie Lannister. Like you don't lose him like surrounded by a crowd of faith militant douches. Like I don't think that that's the way he goes. I was worried for High Sparrow. I thought that Jamie was really just like going to nail him. Oh, you know, I thought that that was going to end right there. Didn't a sparrow land on Bernie Sanders recently? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Mark the Raven. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Also, then uh, we had the storyline uh, with Arya in Bravos, and I really, I'm, I'm glad. I feel like we moved on from this because I, I was gonna tweet earlier tonight. Like, uh, my least favorite part of the week is when I watch the blind girl get her ass kicked. I know all the time. Thank God that's over, or at least it's you know, at least it's moving on. It's gonna be a change of scenery probably. <laughs> uh, but thank you, Jack and Hagar, for showing up and taking care of this. This was great. And so it looks like that she's going to be what training back now. So just like more of the same. She's not a beggar, but she's gonna be still in training at the training ha- continues. House you know, of Black the and tra- White. Yeah, the school school's back in session. Spring break is over, and it was an awful spring break. Although probably not a unique spring break. Uh, we have to say though, uh, for the two Stark kids uh, with their own uh, Mister Miyagi, I feel like the power rankings are very clearly Bran one, Arya two. Yeah, not Arya so. two. Arya two, <laughs> like a thousand, really low on the list. F Arya two. <laughs> Josh, let, let's just jump into some of these questions. I know that we're on a, a tight schedule tonight, but yeah, we have so, so many. It. Let's let's uh, do some rapid fire questions. Of course, we will take more of your questions uh, when we get to our Game of Thrones feedback show during the week. GOT at postshowrecaps.com or go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. Want right. your voicemails. Give them to us. All right. Sarah Blackfire. Uh, says, I had a question. And then uh, the end of the episode happened. Years of waiting and it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, this is a really big deal. You know, not to, and I haven't really had any time to emotionally Party. process it but, because I've just like been in the thick of it in terms of covering it. But like, this is really great. Uh, you know, you guys, you show only people as I shake my fist. Like you only had a year. You didn't even have a full year to have to wait to see what happens to Jon Snow. People have been waiting like five years for this. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of reason to believe that John was going to come back. There was almost no reason to believe that he was going to stay dead. But just to have it confirmed and out in the open, it's nice. This is a good thing. Nice. I'm happy. Mazel Very tov, happy. Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I do feel like I became a man today. Uh, this is Daniel Cueva. Did Walda really think her husband was at the kennels? I think even the kids from the fi- Friday 13th movies would have known better. Uh, yeah, that sucked. The whole thing was terrible. Yeah. Was this the payoff though? Then it didn't last season that Sansa had to go and that Miranda was like, Oh, meet me in the stables. And then she didn't end up dying. Yeah. 
That's so, such a Miranda thing to do. This is kind of like the payoff to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, someone was going to have to. It's Chekhov's stables. Yeah. Geek Furious says, uh, no one has been waiting to die on the show longer than Balon Greyjoy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, he's basically been on the show just to get killed. Uh, this could have happened back in like season three, season four, season five. Any of those seasons, this scene could have existed. Uh, and it's the last of those leeches that Melisandre threw into the fire and said, all you kings, all you pretenders, you're all going to die. Yeah, They're Joffrey, Balon, yeah. Rob Stark. They're all gone. Everyone's gone. Dead, Good work, dead, Melisandre. Dead. Um, she's better at this than she thinks now do you feel like now obviously in the books that happens over um you know a different period of time i think it actually all it all happens what in the second book right it, all, all these things happen in the second book no book three and then uh bail on gray joy i believe dies off page in book three or maybe it is book four i think that he's dead by book four but on the Pretty night sure. where it is uh the return to force for melisandre every you know she was doubting herself she it turned out that she had the power all along uh, Turned this, out to be nice for Melisandre, yeah, this right? This is the night that her pro- prophecy with Gendry comes true. Yeah, I'm starting to believe in this Lord of Light guy. Like, <laughs> I feel like this is the guy to back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Trevor Chong says, uh, so no one really won the War of the Five Kings, did they? Yeah, not really. They're all <laughs> Draw. <gone>. Yeah. <laughs> we all lose. <laughs> nobody wins this is funny this is from KDD. all the game of thrones gen xers are killing off the baby boomers oh boy yeah yeah that's how it seems to be working yeah well there's a there's a new uh show in town it was a great night for like family members killing each other <laughs> you know that was like a real theme of the night it's like hey are we related yeah okay you're dead now that's just how it seemed to work for so many different stories yeah very game of thrones uh andy kim says uh, can we still consider uh jack and hagar an ally to aria what kind of friend takes away your eyes and holds them ransom i don't know i mean i wouldn't call him a friend you know i do think an ally is a very different thing from a friend i think that he is a mentor he is a teacher he's trying to instill some lessons in her and this is tough love it's tough love in the training you know it's boot camp it's blind boot camp. Yep. And I think that, you know, it all it all fits with what he's trying to do. You know, it's it's not like you can't just like give them everything they want if you want to turn them into faceless assassins. You really gotta make them work for it. He did uh help her out of a tight spot at Harren Hall also. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that's well, true. well we do two more questions. Yeah, let's do a couple more. Okay. This is from our Philly. Can I get a shout out to my boys Rhaegal and Viserion? Poor bastards get a showcase episode and still get called the other dragons. <laughs> yeah. I remember Rhaegal and Viserion. That's not, a, that's not too hard of a pull for me. Okay. It's a great night for them. Very happy for them. Good for them. Uh, yeah, Lauren Garcia, my brother Billy from Survivor asks, was it three days later that Jon Snow was resurrected? He asked it, not me. Sorry, LOL. Uh, <laughs> no, it was like three hours later. Like, he was dead for not quite a day, I don't think. I think it was probably, I think it was probably like 15 hours all told because it's like daybreak by the time that he is first found in the season six premiere. Yeah. And, you know, shortly after nightfall in this, I think it was like 12. I feel like the time has gotten a little wonky because I feel like more time has certainly passed in the Winterfell story than has in the wall story. Some of the timelines are a little off from each other. Not worth pulling on that thread too much. I don't think I don't think it's that big. All right. Let's do one last question. Let's one last question. Dan cry havocs and let's slip the dogs of war. This is great. Roose Bolton talking about how if you act like a dog. You will be put down like one is total foreshadowing. Ramsey is going to be put down like the mad dog he is by Sansa, most likely. Yeah. What do you think about that theory? Uh, Sansa is going to be the mad dog? Yeah, she's mad dog. She's going to take her teeth out and the she's going to sing with Ramsey. 
You're a constellation, Ramsey. Hal uh, Morrow. Yeah. <laughs> Cal Morrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> You're the, 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 the sun and the stars. Uh, yeah. A constellation. Okay. Um, I could see that. I could see something happening. I mean, I think that Ramsey getting fed to the dogs would be fantastic. You know, I think that that's a fitting end for a guy of his caliber. Mm, I don't want to. This is, is Game of Thrones, the and that kind of thing doesn't happen. Two yeah, on yeah. the nose, getting fed to the dogs. I'm fed to the dragons. Uh, fed, uh, be satisfying. We can do be something better. Okay. Be satisfying. All right. So, uh, Josh, uh, you, you like Bernie Sparrow as the hashtag? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I like that quite a bit. It's yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. We're waiting for the mother's mercy. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's great. Anyway. Uh, so, I fear everything. I fear the stranger. I fear the mother. I fear the father. I fear the warrior. <laughs> Very good. All right. So uh, we'll have more fun with that. Hopefully uh, on Wednesday when we get to our Game of Thrones feedback show. That's coming up. Also, I'm sure uh, Josh will get together with Terry Schwartz this week oh, yeah. for the yeah, Game of Thrones gonna- book club. We're going to have a great Game of Thrones book club this week. Terry and I have already been giddily texting back and forth. Uh, this is very, very exciting stuff in the world of Game of Thrones. And probably very exciting stuff at House Schwartz because her boyfriend, who is an avid reader of the books, is also avidly avoiding everything to do with the show. And I warned this guy. I was like, you're going to hear about stuff. Jon Snow is going to come back and you're going to find out about that. So we'll have a test case to go through when we talk on, on Tuesday for the book. Yeah, club. as our buddy uh, Zach Brooks had tweeted earlier tonight that Twitter had no chill tonight about no chill, John Snow zero news. chill, no chill at all. Really bad social media etiquette. It was really tough. Yeah, if you were on the West Coast, I don't know how you didn't get spoiled on this if you were on any social yeah. media. Yeah, really bad. All right, well, uh, Josh, great stuff. Uh, I'm sure we can read all of your many, many words uh, written about this. Uh, thousands and thousands of words already that you have penned Lots over over this. Uh, we can see that on your Twitter of everything you've written at The Hollywood Reporter, at Round Howard. I'm yeah, at Rob Cisternino. Yeah, lots of cool stuff coming up this week. I've got interviews coming up with Bran Stark himself, Isaac Hempstead Wright. I'm going to talk to the director of this episode, Jeremy Podeswa. Uh, so if you've got any questions for those guys, that's happening on Monday afternoon. So hit me up. Yeah. And Happy again, ask some questions. Thanks so much to everybody uh, who subscribed to the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes or search for the Game of Thrones postshow recap in your favorite podcatcher. And of course, we greatly appreciate all of your feedback and Stark ratings on our iTunes page because it helps more people find the show. All right. Thanks so much to Alex Kidwell behind the scenes tonight. Have the a best. good night, everybody. Take care. Bye.